and here was a puzzle because a length of string had been tied to each of his legs. One length of string ran across the floor and disappeared downwards into what was, to judge by the heat, the farmyard stink and the occasional bellow of troubled ungulate, the cowshed that Vimes had just passed. The other string disappeared forwards towards the wheelhouse. The woman spotted him and immediately clasped the child to her chest and very slowly put a finger to her lips. He had to hope that the man hadn't noticed, and did not have to hope that the woman realised that he was there to rescue her, not to add to her troubles. That wasn't necessary, but he did feel better that she was a lady fast on the uptake. He held up a hand in front of Feeney, but the lad was definitely future captain material. He hadn't moved at all. Like Vimes, he had become an observer. And Vimes observed, and let the dark rise up to assess the situation in its own inimitable way. This wasn't the summoning dark, or at least he fervently hoped not. It was just his own human darkness and internal enemy, which knew his every thought, which knew that every time Commander Vimes dragged some vicious and inventive murderer to such mercy or justice as the law in its erratic wisdom determined, there was another Vimes, a ghost Vimes, whose urge to chop that creature into pieces on the spot had to be chained. This, regrettably, was harder every time, and he wondered if one day that darkness would break out and claim its heritage, and he wouldn't know. The breaks and chains and doors and locks in his head would have vanished, and he wouldn't know. Right now, as he looked at the frightened child, he feared that moment was coming closer. Possibly only the presence of Feeney was holding the darkness at bay, the dreadful urge to do the hangman out of his entitlement of a dollar for the drop, threepence for the rope and sixpence for his beer. How easy it is to kill, yes, but not when a smart young copper who thinks you are a good guy is looking to you. At home, the watch and his family surrounded Vimes like a wall. Here the good guy was the good guy because he didn't want anyone to see him being bad. He did not want to be ashamed. He did not want to be the darkness. The bow was pointed at the two hostages, and its holder had surely been told to fire if a leg pull sounded the alarm. Would he do it? You needed to age a bit for the dark to start trickling in, although there were always one or two who were born as darkness on legs, who would kill for a pastime. Was he one? Even if he wasn't, would he panic? How light was the trigger? Could a sudden jerk set it off? Outside the storm raged. Whether the water was going down or not didn't seem all that important, given there was so much of the damn stuff around already. The woman was watching him out of the corner of her eye. Oh, well every moment counted. Timing his steps carefully, as if a footstep would be heard in all the thunder and creaking, Vimes crept up to the unsuspecting guard, clamped both hands around his neck, and jerked upwards. The arrow thudded into the ceiling. "'I don't want anyone to get hurt,' Vimes tried to say it in a friendly way, but went on. "'If you think you can pull strings, kid, then let me tell you that you'll run out of gasp before I run out of squeeze.' Chief Constable Upshot, grab that weapon and tie up this gentleman's legs. You may keep his weapon. I know you like them. He must have inadvertently decreased the pressure, for his captive said hoarsely, I don't want to kill anybody, sir. Please. They gave me the bow and told me I was to fire if the boat stopped or I got pulled on the ropes. Do you think I'd do that, sir? Do you really think I'd do that? I was only sitting here in case one of them came in. Please, sir, I never came along for anything like this. It's Stratford, sir. He's a total nut job, sir. A bloody killer he is. There was a crash, and the whole boat shook. Maybe the pilot's stopwatch had let him down. "'What's your name, mister?' "'Eddie, sir. Eddie Brassbound. I'm just a water rat, sir.' The man was trembling. Vimes could see his hand shaking. He turned to the woman with the child, who was being supported now by Feeney, 
touched his forelock and flashed his carefully secreted badge. "'Madam, I'm Commander Vimes of the Ankh-Morpork City Watch. Has this man mishandled you or the little girl in any way?' The woman had barely moved. She reminded him of the younger Sybil, calm and collected and much more likely to fight than scream, but she wouldn't fight until she was ready. "'It was done pretty slick, Commander, just when I was putting grease to bed. The bastards came on as owners of some cargo and acted like decent boys until my husband said he reckoned the weather was going to get really bad. I was in the galley. I heard a lot of yelling, and then we were put down here. Personally, sir, I would deem it a favour if you killed every man jack of them, but life can't be all fun. As far as this one is concerned—' Well, he could have been less gentlemanly, so although I'd like you to throw him into the river, I wouldn't object if you'd refuse to tie a heavy weight to his leg. Feeney laughed. Wouldn't need weights, ma'am. The river is having a party, and we're all guests. I'm a pretty good swimmer, and I wouldn't dare jump into what's out there. Vimes grabbed Brassbound and stared into his eyes. After a moment, he said, No, I know a killer's eyes when I see them. That doesn't mean you ain't a pirate, though, so we're going to keep an eye on you, OK? So don't try anything. I'm trusting you. Heavens help you if I'm wrong. Brassbound opened his mouth to speak, but Vimes added quickly, You could make your life a little easier, and possibly longer, Mr. Brassbound, if you were to tell me how many of your jolly parcel of rogues there are on the fanny. Don't know, sir. Don't know who's still alive, see? Vimes looked at the woman as the boat gave a lurch. It was a strange sensation. For a moment Vimes felt almost weightless, and there was a commotion behind them in the cowshed among the great spinning wheels— when he got his balance, he managed to say, "'I take it you are Mrs. Silito, madam?' She nodded. "'Yes, I am, Commander,' she said, as the little girl clung more tightly to her. "'I know my husband is still alive, because so are we at the moment.' She stopped as another surge lifted the entire boat. Then the fanny came down with a splash and a spine-numbing thump, followed by the long-drawn-out bellow of a bullock who had had enough, and the start of a scream." Vimes, Feeney, and Brassbound picked themselves up off the floor. Mrs. Silito and her daughter were, amazingly, still vertical, and Mrs. Silito wore a grim smile. "'That sound you heard was one of the pirates dying, I'm extremely pleased to say. That means everyone else in the cowshed is alive. Shall I tell you why? He almost certainly didn't hop. Those lifts and drops are little slams to me. Somewhere behind us a damn slam is getting so big that bits of it are carving off.' and coming all the way to us at speed, you see, raising the water level and dropping it again like a stone as they go past. And that's when you have to know enough to dance to the rhythm. Because if you don't dance to the rhythm of the slam, you'll dance with the devil soon enough. A man went down there with a crossbow when the fighting started. By the sound of it, he wasn't familiar with the dance. I expect it was ten-gallon Charlie who got him when he was on the ground, poor lamb. Charlie is the bullock wrangler and if he hits a man once, no one will ever have to hit him again. Mrs. Silito said that in a matter-of-fact, satisfied voice. If you want to try to steal from our riverboat, you have to be prepared for some considerable inconvenience. And I thought the city was on the tough side, Vimes thought. He noticed that a prudent Feeney had rearmed the confiscated crossbow and said, I'm going below to make certain. Mrs. Silito, how many other pirates do you think there are? There were four that came aboard as owners of the cargo. She began to tick them off on her fingers. Mr. Harrison, the loadmaster, got one of them, but another one stabbed him, the devil. I know only one of them went down to the cowshed, and the other one helped this simpering little bastard rig up the ropes, so that if anybody was left to try any funny business, we were a hostage. 
and then that other man went up to the wheelhouse. I was told that we would be all right, providing my husband gets the cargo to Quam. The little girl clung to her dress as the woman continued, her face wooden. Personally, I don't believe it, but he hasn't harmed my husband yet. He's counting, all the time he's counting. My husband is listening to old treachery and remembering, trying to outthink sixty miles of murderous water, and if he dies, it wins wherever you are. Feeney, keep your crossbow pointing at this gentleman, will you? said Vimes. And if he makes any movement whatsoever, up to and including trying to blow his nose, you have my full authority to shoot him somewhere where it will be seriously inconvenient. He headed to the steps and nodded to Feeney and Mrs. Sidato, raised a finger and said, Be with you in just one minute, and hurried down into the hot and noisome heart of the wonderful Fanny. Snooker, Vimes thought, knocking the balls until you have the right one right on cue. He felt pressure on his feet surge as the vessel lifted and instantly jumped into the air, landing neatly as the fanny slapped back down into the water. He was confronted by a man who would surely make even Willikins think twice. You'd be ten gallons. Mrs. Silito sent me down here. I'm Commander Vimes, Ankh-Morpork City Watch. And the man, with a face like a troll and a body to match, said, Heard about you. Thought you were dead. I generally look like this at the end of boat trips, Mr. Gallons, said Vimes, then pointing to an apparent corpse on the floor between them. What happened to him? I think he is dead, Ten Gallons leered. I've never seen a man suffocated by his own nose before. It was hard to hear anything down in the cowshed, given the complaining of the oxen and the ominous whirring of overstressed gears, but Vimes shouted, Do you have a crossbow? Ten Gallons nodded, and fingers thicker than Vimes's wrist unhooked said weapon off a nail on the wall. "'Would come with you, mister, but it's all the three of us can do to hold things together down here,' he spat. "'Ain't really any hope, anyway. The damn slam is right behind us. See you on the other side, copper.' Vimes nodded at him, examined the crossbow for a moment, made a little adjustment, and, satisfied, climbed back up the steps. Vimes looked at the few people left on the wonderful fanny who weren't pouring water on the backs of steaming oxen or trying to hold the boat in one piece and above water. The shocks were indeed getting closer together, he was sure of it, and surely, once there was a big enough hole, the whole damn dam would give way. All the occupants of the cabin except Brassbound, who fell over, jumped together as yet another surge raised the boat. There was a sharp intake of breath from Feeney as Vimes went over to the trembling Brassbound, who had clearly realised that he was likely to be the unlucky winner of the first over-the-side contest. And Feeney actually groaned when Vimes handed the man the recovered crossbow, saying, I told you, Chief Constable, I know a killer when I see one, and I need backup, and I'm sure that our Mr. Brassbound is very eager to get himself promptly onto the good side of the law right now, a decision that might well make him look better in court. Am I not right, Mr. Brassbound? The young man nodded fervently. Vimes added, I'd rather have you down here, Feeney. Until I know exactly who is still on this tub, I'd like you to look after the ladies. Right now, I'm not sure I know who's alive and who's dead. The Fanny is not a tub commander, said Mrs. Sinato sharply, but I'll forgive you this one time. Vimes gave her a little salute, as all but Brassbound jumped, and once again the idiot floundered. Vimes turned towards the stairs. It's going to be Stratford up there with the pilot, isn't it, Mr. Brassbound? Another, bigger surge this time, and Brassbound landed heavily. He managed to get out, and he's heard about you, you know how it is, and he's determined to get down to the sea before you catch up with him. He's a killer, sir, a stone killer. Don't give him a chance, sir. I beg you for all our sakes, and do it quickly for yours. The air was electric, truly electric. 
Everything metal shook and jangled. They say the dam is going to break pretty soon, said Brassband. Thank you for that, Mr. Brassband. You sound like a sensible young man to me, and I'll say so to the authorities. The worried young man's face was wreathed in smiles as he said, And you're the famous commander of I'm, sir. I'm glad to be at your back. There were a lot of steps up to the wheelhouse. The pilot was king and rode high over the river, monarch of all he surveyed, even if, as now, rain hammered at the expensive glass windows as if it found such solid slabs of sky offensive. Vimes stepped inside quickly. It was hardly worth shouting, given that the storm drowned out everything, but you had to be able to say that you'd said it. Commander Vimes, Ankh-Morpork City Watch, Statute of Necessary Action which didn't exist, but he swore to himself that he would damn well get it enacted as soon as he got back, even if he had to call in favours from all over the world. A lawman faced with a dreadful emergency should at least have some kind of fig leaf to shove down the throats of the lawyers. He could see the back of Mr. Silito's head with his pilot's cap. The pilot paid Vimes no attention, but a young man was standing looking at Vimes in knock-kneed, pants-sweating horror. The sword he had been carrying landed heavily on the deck. Brassband was hopping from one foot to the other. You'd better take care of him right now, Commander. He'll have a trick or two up his sleeve and no mistake. Vimes ignored this and carefully patted the young man down, freeing up one short knife the sort a river rat might carry. He used it to cut a length of rope and tied the man's hands together behind him. OK, Mr. Stratford, we're going downstairs, though if you'd like to dive into the water first, I won't stop you. And then the man spoke for the first time. "'I ain't Stratford, sir,' he said, pleading. "'I'm Squeezy McIntyre. "'That's Stratford behind you with the crossbow pointing at you, sir.' "'The man formerly known as Brassbound gave a chuckle as Vimes turned. "'Oh, my, oh, my, the great commander Vimes. "'I'll be damned if you ain't as dumb as a pile of all shit. "'You know the eyes of a killer when you see them, do you? <laughs> "'I reckon I've killed maybe, oh, sixteen people, "'not including goblins, of course, they don't count.' Stratford sighted on Vimes and grinned. Maybe it's my boyish features, would you say? What kind of bloody fool cares about the goblins, eh? Oh, they say they can talk, but you know how those little buggers can lie? The tip of the crossbow drifted back and forwards hypnotically in Stratford's hands. I'm curious, though. I mean, I don't like you, and sure as salvation I'm going to shoot you, but do me a favour and tell me what you saw in my eyes, OK? Squeezy took the opportunity to hop desperately down the steps, just as Vimes said, with a shrug. I saw a goblin girl being murdered. What lies did she tell you? I know the eyes of a murderer, Mr. Stratford. Oh, surely I do, because I've looked into eyes like that many times. And if I need reminding, I look into my shaving mirror. Oh, yes, I recognise your eyes, and I'm interested to see what you're going to do next, Mr. Stratford. Though, now I come to think about it, Maybe it wasn't sensible of me to give you that crossbow. Maybe I really am stupid, because I'm offering you the opportunity to surrender to me here and now, and I'm doing it only once. Stratford stared with his mouth open and then said, Hell, Commander, I've got the drop on you, and you want me to surrender to you? Sorry, Commander, but I'll see you again in hell. There was a space in the world for the crossbow to sing when the grinning Stratford pulled the trigger. Unfortunately, the sound that it made approximated to the word thunk. He stared at it. I took the safety pin out and stamped it into the dung, said Vimes. You can't fire it without the pin. 
Now, I expect you have a couple of knives about your person, and so if you fancy cutting your way out past me, then I'll be happy to accommodate you, although I'll tell you that firstly you won't succeed, and secondly, if you manage to get past a boy who grew up on the streets of Ankh-Morpork, there's a man down there with a punch that can fell an elephant, and if you knife him, you'll just make him more annoyed. The surge this time was bigger than ever, and Vimes banged his head on the cabin's roof before coming down again in front of Stratford and kicking him smartly in the official police officer method and also the groin. "'Oh, come on, Mr. Stratford! Don't you have a reputation to keep up? Feared killer! You should spend some time in the city, my lad, and I'll make certain you do!' Stratford fell backwards, and Vimes continued. "'And then you'll hang, as is right and proper, but don't worry! Mr. Trooper does a nifty noose, and they say it hardly hurts at all!' Tell you what, just to get the adrenaline pumping, Mr. Stratford, imagine I'm the goblin girl. She begged for her life, Mr. Stratford, remember that? I do, and so do you. You fell down at the first surge, Mr. Stratford. River rats know what to do. You didn't, although I must say you've covered it very well. Whoops! This was because Stratford had indeed tried his hand with a knife. Vimes twisted his wrist and flung the blade down the stairs just as the glass in the wheelhouse smashed, and a branch longer than Vimes ploughed across the room, shedding leaves and dragging torrential rain and darkness behind it. Both the lamps had gone out, and, as it turned out, so had Stratford, hopefully through a shattered window, possibly to his death, but Vimes wasn't sure. He would have preferred definitely. But there was no time to fret about him, because now came another surge, and water poured in through the glassless windows. Vimes jerked open the little gate to the pilot's deck and found Mr. Silito struggling up out of the pile of storm-washed debris. He was moaning, "'I've lost count! I've lost count!' Vimes pulled him upwards and helped him into his big chair, where he banged on the arms in frustration. "'And now I can't see a damned thing in all this muck! Can't count, can't see, can't steal, won't survive!' "'I can see, Mr. Silito,' said Vimes. "'What do you want me to do?' "'You can!' Vimes stared out at the homicidal river. There's a thundering great rock coming up on the left-hand side. Should it be doing that? Looks like there's a busted landing stage there. Ye gods, that's Baker's knob. Here, let me at the wheel. How close is it now? Maybe fifty yards? And you can see it in all this. Damn me, mister. You must have been born in a cave. That means we ain't that far from Quirm now. A touch under nineteen miles. You think you could stand lookout? Is my family okay?' That little snot threatened to harm them if I didn't keep the fanny on schedule. Something big and heavy bounced off the roof and spun away into the night, and the pilot went on. Gastric Silitor, delighted to make your acquaintance, sir. He stared ahead. I've heard of you. Coombe Valley right. Happy to have you aboard. Uh, gastric? Whole tree spinning in current near left-hand shore, ten yards ahead. Nothing much to see on right. The wheel spun frantically again. Obliged to you, sir, and I surely hope you won't take it amiss if I say that we generally talk about port and starboard. Wouldn't know about that, gastric. Never drank starboard. Mass of what looks like smashed logs ahead forty yards looks like small stuff, and I see a faint light high up on our right, can't tell how far away. Vimes ducked, and a jagged log bounced off the back of the wheelhouse. Beside him the pilot sounded as if he had got a grip on things now. Okay, Commander, that would be Jackson's light. Very welcome sight. Now I've found my bearings and an hourglass that ain't busted, I'll be further in your debt if you'd go below and tell ten gallons to cut loose the barges. There's a chicken farmer on one of them, best to get him on board before the dam breaks. And hundreds of goblins, Gastric. Pay them no mind, sir. Goblins is just goblins. For a moment Vimes stared into the darkness, and the darkness within the darkness.
and it said to him, You're having fun, aren't you, Commander? This is Sam Vimes being Sam Vimes in the dark and the rain and the danger, and because you're a copper, you're not going to believe that Stratford is dead until you see the corpse. You know it. Some people take a devil of a lot of killing. You know you saw him go out of the cabin, but there's all kinds of ropes and handholds on the boat, and the bugger was wiry and limber, and you know, just as day follows night, that he'll be back. Double jeopardy, Commander Vimes. All the pieces on the board, goblins to save, a murderer to catch, and all the time when you remember there is a wife and a little boy waiting for you to come back. I always remember. Of course you do, Commander Vimes, the voice continued. Of course you do. But I know you, and sometimes a shadow passes every sun. Nevertheless, the darkness will always be yours, my tenacious friend. And then reality either came back or went away, and Vimes was saying, We bring the goblins aboard, Gastric, because they... Yes, they are evidence in an important police investigation. There was a further surge, and this time Vimes landed up on the deck, which was a little bit softer now because of the ragged carpet of leaves and branches. As he got up, Mr. Silito said, Police investigation, you see. Well, the Fanny has always been a friend of the law, but... Well, sir, they stink like the pits of hell, and that's the truth of it. They'll frighten the oxen something terrible. Do you think they aren't frightened already, said Vimes? A uh, small logjam ahead on the right, all clear on the left. He sniffed. Trust me, sir, by the smell of it, they're pretty nervous as it is. Can't you just stop and tie us up to the bank? Silito's laugh was brittle. Sir, there are no banks now, none that I'd tried to get to. I know this river and it's angry, and there's a damn slam coming. Can't stop it any more than I could stop the storm. You signed up for the long haul, Commander. Either we race the river, or we fold our hands, pray to the gods, and die right now. He saluted. Nevertheless, I can see you're a man, sir, who does what he sees needs doing, and by hooky, I can't argue with that. You've done a man's job as it is, Commander Vimes, and may the gods go with you. May they go with all of us. Vimes ran down the steps, grabbing Feeney in passing, and danced over the heaving floor to the cowshed. Come on, lad, it's time to ditch the barges. There's too much of a drag. Mr. Ten Gallons, let's get the doors open, shall we? Mr. Silito has put me in charge down here. If you want to argue, feel free. The huge man didn't even attempt an argument and punched the doors open. Vimes swore. Mr. Silito had been right. There was roaring not far behind them, and a river of lightning and blue fire was sweeping down the valley like a tide. For a moment he was hypnotised, and then got a grip. Okay, Feeney, you start getting the goblins on board, and I'll fetch our chicken farmer. The bloody iron ore can sink for all I care. In the glaring light of the dam slam, Vimes jumped twice to land on the barge, from which was already coming the squawking of terrified birds. Water poured off him as he dragged open the hatch and shouted, Mr. False! No, don't start grabbing the chickens. Better off farmer with no chickens than a load of chickens with no farmer. Anyway, they'll probably float, or fly, or something. He coaxed the frightened man onto the next barge to find that it was still full of bewildered goblins. Feeney was looking out from the open door at the rear of the fanny, and above the roar and hissing, Vimes heard him shout, It's Mr. Tengallon, sir. He says no goblins. Vimes glanced behind them and then turned back to Feeney. Very well, Mr. Feeney, keep an eye on the goblin's barge while I discuss matters with Mr. Ten Gallons, understand? He flung Mr. False onto the deck of the fanny and looked around for Ten Gallons. He shook his head. What a copper that man would make if properly led by human beings. He sighed. Mr. Ten Gallons, I told you Mr. Silito has given me carte blanche. Can we discuss the matter of the goblins? 
the giant growled. I ain't got no cart, and I don't know no Blanche, and I ain't having no goblins on my deck, okay? Vimes nodded, poker-faced, and looked exhaustedly at the deck. Is that your last word, Mr. Tengallons? It damn well is. Okay, this is mine. Tengallons went over backwards like a tree and began to sleep like a log. The street never leaves you. And what the University of the Street told you was that fighting was a science, the science of getting the opponent out of your face and face down on the ground with the maximum amount of speed and the minimum of effort. After that, of course, you had a range of delightful possibilities and the leisure in which to consider them. But if you wanted to fight fair, or at least more fair than most of the other street options, then you had to know how to punch, and what to punch, and from precisely which angle to punch it. Of course, his treasured brass knuckles were an optional but helpful extra, but, Vimes thought as he tried to wring some blood back into his fingers, probably any court after sight of ten gallons would have forgiven Vimes even if he used a sledgehammer. He looked at the brass knuckles. They hadn't even bent. Good old Ank Morpork know-how. The country may have the muscle, but the city has got the technology, he thought, as he slipped them back in his pocket. OK, Mr Feeney, let's get them in, shall we? Fine Stinky, he's the brains of the outfit.'